Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to another episode of One Man Watchpoint and Overwatch Podcast. This is, of course, an Overwatch podcast where we look at everything going on in the wonderful world of Overwatch. That, of course, includes the latest and greatest news happening in relation to Overwatch, Overwatch 2, and the Overwatch League, as well as looking at all the ongoings in the Overwatch League and all the upcomings in the Overwatch League. You can get this podcast on Apple Podcast Services, on Google Podcast Services, and of course, that includes Spotify and hopefully every podcast service out there. If you do find a service that I am not on, please hit me up on Twitter or Instagram at SirDRJM. That is Sir Dr. JM. Please give us a like, give us a share, give us a subscribe if you care to, and interact with me on Twitter, Instagram, whatever, and I'll be happy to engage with you in the next episode. Now, for this week's episode, we don't have a ton of news, mostly just because I'm recording on a different day of the week, so not a lot has happened just yet. We're still early in the week, and uh, at least here in Canada, it is a shortened week because it was a long weekend. Happy Victoria Day, everyone. And with that, let's roll on into the news. Our first news story comes from rachelsamples.esports.com, and it is, of course, discussing the anniversary event which launched today overwatch's 2020 anniversary event now live grab your party hats and sparklers overwatch fans the first person shooters fourth anniversary event is now live across all platforms like previous events this year's anniversary celebration introduces a slew of new cosmetics that fans can find in anniversary boxes or by crafting in the hero customization tab this year's set of cosmetics include Legendary Skins, Submarine Wrecking Ball, Masquerade Reaper, and Dragoon Mercy. Skins and other cosmetics from previous anniversary events have also returned for the event's duration and can be crafted for a discounted price. New Legendary Skins cost 3,000 gold from the Hero Customization tab, while older skins can be crafted for 1,000 gold. Fans can also earn free epic skins each week by completing weekly challenges by winning nine games each week players will unlock skins for sigma widowmaker and mccree while the event is live additionally all players will receive one free anniversary loot box for the first login the anniversary event has also reintroduced seasonal game modes such as maze snowball offensive and lucio ball these modes will be available on a rotating basis to give players plenty of opportunities to try out different modes throughout the event the event runs until June 9th, giving fans three full weeks to partake in the festivities and earn all the goodies they can before the cosmetics are vaulted until next year. Now, that was quite a long one, and I did read the whole article, so go ahead and head over to dotesports.com to give Rachel Samples the view on her article there. That is quite the comprehensive breakdown, of course. She lists all of uh, the legendary skins there, um, detailing some of the cosmetic aspect, and of course, she then also uh, went into the challenges and events that are going to be available. So that's always exciting. Now, I actually, I think I did this on one of my first episodes because one of my first episodes was right around another event. I don't remember which one it would have been. It would have been back in February, maybe? February, what would February be? I don't know which event that would have been. Maybe archives? Who knows? Anyways, so I do want to take a quick peek at some of the skins that are going to be available. Now, I have looked at them prior to this. However, I've got them up on my screen here, so I'll just go through them. First one I'm looking at is actually the Reaper Masquerade skin, which is actually a really cool skin. Um, I like it a lot. It's got kind of a uh, Masquerade Ball style to it. Reaper in kind of a red and burgundy outfit with gold highlights. Um, definitely looks very, very nice. Um, got a nice crisp look to it, and he's got kind of a gold mask on, as well as gold uh, gold barrel shotguns, it looks like. So that's pretty cool. Moving on from there, um, that's just the first image I just found. Uh, I'll go on to the Epic skins now. Epic is the first one I'm looking at, is the Carbon Fiber Sigma skin. Um, so he's finally getting his Carbon Fiber skin, which obviously many characters have a car Carbon Fiber version of themselves. Looks like Sigma's is black and yellow. He's got kind of a bumblebee look going on to him, kind of a wasp thing, because he, you know, floats, hovers like a hovers like a wasp, stings like a bee. Is that the saying? Something like that. So that's kind of a cool one. Um, and that will actually be the first week challenge uh, 
skin that you get rewarded with if you get nine wins for that first uh, first week of the event. So May 19th to the 26th, you can unlock that. Moving on from May 26th to June 2nd, the next epic skin is the Fleur de Lis Widowmaker skin. Um, I'm definitely less into this one than the Sigma and the Reaper one I already discussed, but it just kind of looks, you know, another flavor of Widowmaker. It's not incredibly great, if you ask me, in terms of an epic skin. So moving on from there. The final one is June 2nd to 9th, the Masked Man McCree. Now this one I'm actually, I, I don't mind at all. Looks looks kind of nice. Looks like, let me just get a closer look here. Hold on. I was trying to read McCree's uh, belt buckle there because it says something different in, in this uh, in this skin. His poncho reads Ranger, and his signature hat feels like that of an old-time man of the law, this article says. Anyways, looks kind of nice. Um, I like the color scheme. They've got kind of this teal blue color with uh, with white highlights and a white white hat, silver gun, white gloves. Looks like a good one with a little black mask, so I'm all about that. Th that one looks good for sure. Moving on from there, uh, this event actually has some of the dopest legendary skins that I think they've released in the game. One in particular I think has set the internet on fire because it looks friggin' sweet. And it is Little Red Ash. If you haven't seen this one, go look it up because it is just all kinds of hilarious. Ash is wearing a uh, Little Red Riding Hood outfit, and of course her gun now sports a nice axe blade on it. Meanwhile, Bob is actually dressed up as the Big Bad Wolf, but not just the Big Bad Wolf. He's a Big Bad Wolf dressed in disguise of a granny outfit. So he's got kind of this wolf-like face, and uh, and then he's wearing a little, little Sleepy Time bonnet, Sleepy Time shirt, and it's very, very cute and very funny. So that's a really good one. The gold version of Ash's gun in that one looks particularly sick. Um, I already did discuss the Masquerade Reaper one, so that's just what that looks like. Oh, and I'm just reading here. Okay, so I'm actually looking at these pictures on dotesports.com, and this is an article from Liz Richardson, but I'm just reading here, if I go back to it, that a comic from 2017 showed the Talon team, including Reaper, Widowmaker, and Doomfist, causing trouble in Monaco and Venice. In the comic, Reaper wore this iconic red outfit, proclaiming him as the bringer of death with a feather in his cap. So I guess that skin had actually been shown long ago, but regardless, it's a cool one. I like it a lot. The next one is a Zenyatta skin that I'm not even going to try to pronounce. It is clearly an Aztec word. Um, likely something to do with sun, the sun, sun god, something like that. Um, just reading here. Inspired by a deity as he's transformed into the Aztec god of sun and war, whatever that name is. So there you go. It is, in fact. Um, this one's pretty cool. I've seen a lot of people are kind of divided on it. I think it's got a cool kind of stonework, Aztec stonework look to it with uh, sort of bronzy copper highlights and, and gold or uh, like yellow highlights in his actual mechanical body. So I like this one quite a bit. Um, very cool stuff there. Always fun to see a Zenyatta skin. Moving on from there, we have Dragoon Mercy, which is Mercy wearing sort of a dragon armor outfit. It's a cool one, albeit it's not... I'm not crazy about it. it she's got kind of this dragon head mask on, but I just think it could have been a little more interesting. But I digress. Moving on from there, probably my other favorite outside of the uh, the Ash, the Reaper ones, are, is the Submarine Wrecking Ball. So in this one, we've got Hammond, our favorite little hamster, um, rolling around in his ball, and his ball is designed to look like a submarine, and Hammond is designed to look like a little submarine admiral. So he's got this big, big old mustache, he's got a little sailor's hat on, and... Uh, and yeah, the, the, the wrecking ball itself has kind of a submarine window in the front and everything. So it's definitely a very cool one. I did see some speculation on Twitter that this one could actually also be hinting at another map. Just because the backdrop for this one looks like he is in sort of an underwater, almost fish tank setting. However, that said, the scale of it seems odd because there's a giant floating rubber duck next to him. But hey, who knows? Um, and then looking at all the other ones, actually, they are all on maps that you can distinctly identify. So, I mean, Reapers has got to be likely Paris. Could be Rialto, but Paris would be my guess. Sigma's is on uh, Route 66 towards the end, I'm guessing, it looks like. 
Widowmakers is obviously on uh, Chateau Guillard. Uh, McCree is on Hollywood. Let's see. Ash and I believe Mercy are both in that one that I can't quite recall, although they could be Eichenwald related. But it's usually a, a map that you see the 6v6 arcade mode played on. Um, but I can't recall what it's called for now. Um, Zenyatta is on Dorado. And then, like I say, Winston, Winston, sorry, Hammond, or Wrecking Ball, is on sort of an underwater one. There's some sort of sunken statues in the background, it looks like. So I've actually seen speculation online that this could be hinting at a new map, which might be a Lost City of Atlantis or a uh, Watchpoint Atlantis map, which sure would be cool and exciting. That said, uh, how much do I buy into that? Mm, not really. Take that with a grain of salt. Although, like I say, it'd be super cool to see that. So that's it for the skins and the anniversary event talk. However, that does tie directly into the next news story, which is from Liz Richardson on .esports.com. Overwatch patch 1.48 adds hero changes communication wheel. So I'm going to read a chunk of this one, but I'm not going to read all of it because she does have like a ton of the details of the patch posted. Overwatch may be celebrating its fourth anniversary, but there's a lot more going on beyond the party. The 2020 anniversary event launched today as part of patch 1.48, which introduces a host of quality changes and hero tweaks to live servers. The large patch, which may take extra time to download, adds improved communication and easily accessible patch notes to the game alongside a long list of balanced changes to support and damage heroes. So I'll read some of these. I'm definitely going to kind of pick and choose them. Game changes, improved communication wheel. Have you ever wanted to repeatedly spam no in the middle of a competition, competitive Overwatch game? Patch 1.48 has finally made those dreams come true with an improved communication wheel. Players can customize the callouts on their communication wheel, which is used, which used to only include stock calls like I need healing or attack the objective. In patch 1.48, 26 different combination, communications are available. So that's uh, something I had actually covered previously, as I think it was uh, on the PTR or at least on the experimental I can't quite remember but I think that's kind of a kind of a welcome change it's a little surprising that they didn't introduce this earlier simply based on the fact that they have um, you know you obviously have your emote and your not communication voice line uh, your emote and your voice line and your communication wheel already and you could always customize your emote and your voice line wheel to an extent, you know, with, with four options, but you couldn't customize that normal communication wheel. So that's a exciting one. I'm interested to hop on and see what all the options are and everything and customize it a little bit. At this point, I've kind of memorized where a few of the callouts are for sure. Like group up with me is a big one, um, especially in lower level competitive that uh, sometimes gets people's attention and sometimes it does not. Anyways, moving on from there. In-game patch notes, um, basically they're giving a blurb where you can actually read the patch notes right in the game, so that's, uh, you know, nice for some people, and most people probably will never touch it. There is also a reset the basketball button. A few minority, few minor quality of life changes have been added to patch 1.48. Play of the game has been rebalanced to, quote, emphasize a more active participation, end quote, in fights. According to the patch notes, players will receive an in-game notice thanking them for a cheat report if it is if it results in disciplinary action, much like how reports for abusive chat work now. Most importantly, players can now reset the basketball in control dropships. You'll no longer have to yell at someone for ruining your perfect three-pointer. So that's always an exciting one. Moving on from there, uh, Liz details the hero changes further down, uh, further on in the article. A lot of them were in last week's experimental card, which she also points out. And I did actually discuss a few of them, one in particular on last week's episode, but I'll, I'll just highlight it here so that I get the details correct. Cause I just kind of brushed on it last week. So it is actually, if I scroll down to Moira, biotic orb damage radius reduced from five to four meters or projectile speed increased from 16 to 20, projectile duration reduced from 10 to 7 seconds. So as you can see by that, the, uh, the biotic orb is obviously not going to have as wide a radius, so as it's flying by you, you have to move less far away from it to avoid getting hit. At the same time, it's going to fly at you damn quick, so good luck getting out of the way, 
And then on top of that, it's also going to expire quicker. So kind of an interesting one. I think it'll be interesting to see how that changes Moira up. Um, yeah, interesting stuff because I think Moira is one of the characters, especially on the support side, that is a little more, a little more, I don't want to be too mean, but autopilot. I do, I mean, I enjoy playing her just as much as I enjoy playing most of the support heroes, but I think she is definitely one of the easier ones because she just dishes out heals and damage quite easily. Um, other than that, few few interesting ones that I should touch on. Zenyatta's Orb of Discord damage amplification has increased from 25% to 30%. So that's actually back um, to not original game, but back rewinding things back a few patches because they did nerf that a little while ago. And I think that should make Zenyatta a little more uh, a little more viable of a support character because Zen is probably the one that I see the least in competitive play these days. Um, to pick out a few of the damage and tank ones, for some odd reason they've buffed Bastion. So configuration sentry weapon spread decreased 10%, shots until max speed reduction lowered from 60 to 40, self-repair resource drain rate increased 20%, healing per second increased from 75 to 90. So essentially, and I think Liz actually sums it up nicely here, Blah, 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 blah. His sentry or turret mode has reduced spread and can inflict more defined damage on enemies. Self-repair is now more costly of, of a resource, but does more healing. Overall, Bastion can inflict more specific damage and stay alive longer, which is terrifying for anyone in its path. So, great, great. Moving on from there, let's see. I'm just looking to see, just because Echo was recently introduced, I'll highlight Echo's. Reduced the height of Echo's head hit volume. So this relates to Echo's uh, headshot hitbox that I mentioned before. Um, should tighten things up a little bit, which is interesting. Junkrat frag launcher projectiles maintain slightly more velocity on ricochet. Concussive Concussion mine projectile speed increased from 20 to 25. Ricochet distance off of enemy players greatly reduced. Total Mayhem bomb detonation time reduced from 1 second to 0 0.7 seconds. Bomb spread increased 50%. Minimal changes to Junkrat's abilities have made it from Experimental Card to Patch 1.48. Concussion Mine will be more consistent thanks to less ricochet and a faster projectile speed. The biggest change is to Junkrat's passive Total Mayhem, which releases bombs upon his elimination. The ability is now faster and spreads bombs over a larger space, so it could be much more damaging to enemies who forget about this little surprise. So that is actually quite an interesting one, because those bombs will, you know, previously I think if you killed a Junkrat, you at least had time to move, as they were pretty concentrated and they had, you know, even though it's only a one second delay, they had that amount of time for you to get away. Now it's a wider spread that they have, and they detonate quicker, I think that's actually going to, especially in uh, arcade mode elimination, or uh, or uh, what's it called, free-for-all, that's going to make a difference, that's for sure. Um, oh, actually, probably the last one I'll outline here, I wanted to touch on May, because May's changes are actually quite interesting. Cryo-freeze now behaves like Mercy's, or like May's ice wall when it comes to interactions. Cryo-freeze will block line of sight and collision in much the same way. In some scenarios, characters were able to cast abilities through May's Cryo Freeze or her self-healing Ice Block ability. This change makes her Cryo Freeze a solid block so she can block area of effect abilities like Diva's Self-Destruct more reliably. So essentially what that's saying is... Sorry, just taking a quick read. Is you can actually use that as a, a barrier, really. So Diva's Self-Destruct is the most obvious example of that where you can just... If you are hidden behind a May in Cryofreeze, then you can be protected from something like that. So that's a pretty significant change. Moving on from there, I will close out of that. And that takes us into everyone's favorite segment that I need a better name for. And I'm going to call from now on Coming and Going. So this is, of course, the segment that I started last week where I talk about who's retiring next or who's getting signed or who's being traded and things like that in the Overwatch League. Now, once again, we had quite an exciting week in that sense with uh, a few significant moves, a few less significant moves, but overall, a lot of interesting stuff happening. 
So the first place I want to start is with the Washington Justice. And this was announced, I was sitting there on Friday, you know, begging for news after I published my episode, I think early on Friday, or maybe even late on Friday, I can't quite remember. And I was just dying for some more news, hoping to hear more about signings of the former uh, Vancouver Titans or something like that. And then, of course, I don't go on Twitter before the games start on the weekend. Not, I'm not saying I, I don't go on Twitter, just I didn't. And uh, then I start watching the Washington-Florida game, and they start talking. That was actually the first game I was able to catch. And they start talking about Janu and Stitch. And I'm like, what the hell's going on? I hop on Twitter, and five hours before their game on Saturday, Washington announced that they signed Stitch in the DPS role from the former Vancouver Titans, as well as Janu in, in an off-tank role. So definitely a bit of a shock there. I don't think anyone really would have seriously predicted them going to Washington. That said, I think uh, Stitch and Janu are also sort of no offense to them. I mean, obviously I'm a fan of pretty much all of the old Vancouver Titans and I'm excited to see where all of them land, but no offense to them. I think they were kind of lower on the totem pole in terms of players that teams are seeking out, right? Um, definitely, I, I think Stitch is a quality DPS. I think Janu is a great off tank um, and I would love to see them both land on their feet. However, when I saw this, I was definitely a little confused about it. Now, upon looking into it further, they were both signed under that two-week temporary contract thing that the league is now allowing, which, you know, fair enough, good for them. I would almost assume this was... It's hard to say who it is on more. Obviously, I think the team organization, so the Washington Justice, would have had to engage with them to say, hey, we need someone, we want someone, can we get you guys to come play with us for a little while? At the same time, I mean, obviously it's on Stitch and Janu to say yes, no, or to perhaps be reaching out to teams to say, hey, I'm interested, that kind of thing. But regardless, two-week contracts for both Stitch and Janu, I don't expect to see them stay with the Washington Justice. I suspect this was largely in place simply to give them a chance in the May Melee tournament, which they've now called the May Melee, which was formerly the may madness tournament but i suspect they got into legal trouble with uh, the nba but who knows but i digress um exciting to see them come back although i'll talk a little bit more about their performance and the washington justice's performance overall uh in our next segment when we look at the owl recap so moving on from there uh the next team i want to talk about is the hangs house spark so of course they announced that bazzi was retiring um now Hangzhou being an Asian team or an Asian region team, I should say, not just because they're an Asian team, but an Asian region team. Um, I don't follow them too closely. So, I mean, I remember Bazi playing last season. Um, I can't say I recall anything too specific about it. However, I know he was well known throughout, uh, throughout the league and especially the, the Asian, uh, region side of things. So obviously we all wish him all the best and we hope he moves on to something exciting and does whatever he wants to do from here. As well, the Hangzhou Spark also uh, released or retired, I'm not even sure which, Coach Yeah. Um, I probably should have actually just pulled up an article about this. I was actually listening to a couple other podcasts and they, they mentioned this, so I just jotted it down and forgot to look into it. But So one of their coaches also leaving, so all the best to him as well. Moving on from there, probably the biggest news with respect to the Hangzhou Spark is, of course, that Architect is leaving from the San Francisco Shock to the Hangzhou Spark. Now, that in particular is a great pickup for them. I think uh, I think Architect can make a big impact on their team. I definitely do think that Architect is, you know, not n in terms of all the candidates, I don't think he would necessarily win MVP, but I do think he could be MVP potential, um, especially if he's in a starting position. Whereas I think playing with, uh, you know, people like uh, Sinatra and uh, Stryker on the San Francisco Shock, I think he uh, he struggled a little more to be sort of that, uh, that main line, main line, that main play uh, DPS focus kind of thing. So anyways, great pickup for Hanzo. Hanzo. Hangzhou. 
Um, and obviously sad to see him go from San Francisco. I know I follow them on, I saw follow San Francisco on social media and they're posting all sorts of goodbye stuff to him. They, they posted a, uh, a video of him walking away through, through security at the airport and everything. So I, I'm sure, you know, circumstances considered, I'm sure they don't necessarily want to get rid of him, but, uh, I suspect something had to be worked out there to get him likely back home safe and everything. So Congrats to him. Congrats to Hang Zhao. Sad to see him go from San Francisco. And moving on from there, you might be wondering why I say sad to see him go from San Francisco, especially being that I've not been shy to voice my overall dislike for San Francisco being obviously me being a Vancouver Titans fan. Well, guess what? I might just becoming be becoming a San Francisco Shock fan as the San Francisco Shock announced that they signed Twilight formerly of the Vancouver Titans. Now, let's get into this a little bit. Obviously, I'm not going to go super in-depth here just because I'm no expert, but at the same time, I listen to a lot of people who are, so I'll steal a lot of their opinions right here, but no. In in all seriousness, though, um, Twilight, I think, is definitely not the pickup I would have thought San Francisco would go for, all things considered. Um, not that I think there's anything wrong with that pickup. Obviously, Twilight, I think, is, is actually um, definitely MVP candidate quality. Um, I mean, I think he was in the running last year. Um, and obviously, we all know who that went to. But regardless, I think he's definitely... He could be the best flex support in the league. Um, honestly, the only downside to this is that I think he's probably going to be stealing Violet's starting lineup position. Um It'll be interesting to see in the May tournament if he does get played, just because, I mean, we know that all the Vancouver Titans did go back to Korea, and, and those that are playing, like Stitch and Janu, um, would, I mean, unless somebody knows otherwise, would be playing from Korea. So he might be fighting with some ping there. He might be fighting with, you know, some poor equipment or something to that extent. All things I'm pulling from the experience with the Vancouver Titans, so who knows. But regardless... It'll be really interesting to see if he plays in the tournament or if they do let Violet have that starting lineup spot. Maybe maybe Twilight's not quite ready to join the team. Maybe he hasn't had enough scrim time. Maybe they're building for the future and we don't see him for a little bit. Who knows? But that's a great pickup for San Francisco. And I do think that, like I say, I think he's going to become their, uh, their starter alongside Moth, obviously. Now, moving on from there, in terms of the San Francisco shock, the glaring uh aspect to this is i think and maybe this is just me being crazy i think if there was one pickup the san francisco shock really would have wanted or would have loved to chase is Haxall. obviously you know they just had the uh, mvp of the season last year with sinatra sinatra is now gone but how how amazing would it be if they could now get rookie of the year from last year Haxall and bring him onto the team um not necessarily to replace Sinatra but in a lot of ways to pick up some of that slack to fill some of that hole left by Sinatra so exciting stuff for sure and obviously I'm loving that we are now seeing where a lot of these players are landing and that actually brings me to one thing that I just briefly want to touch on because uh, I think it's important, and I do want to know, just out of curiosity. Um, so here's the question. Who are the other Vancouver Titans that we have not heard from? Obviously, we've not heard from the coaches. Um, we don't know if they've landed anywhere yet. We don't. I mean, I don't follow them too closely, and I'm certain coaches are probably reported on a little less than players. But there's Yang Wan and Andante. I think uh, I follow Andante on Twitter for sure, but I don't think I've seen too much, so I'm not sure what's going on with them. Hopefully they land on their feet. The other uh, sort of three big players outside of Haxall, who I just talked about, um, who we haven't heard anything from, are Somensu, Ryujihong, and Fisher. So very interesting stuff. Um, really, it's, I mean, just to focus on one of them for this second, it's too bad that we haven't heard anything about Fisher just because of all the history Fisher's had with the league and with teams and, you know, kind of bouncing around from teams and everything. It's really too bad that uh, it doesn't seem that he somehow wound up in Vancouver and then Vancouver imploded. So I do hope that uh, all these guys find something else and land on their feet somewhere. But uh, for now, we will keep wondering. I just, one more thing. I suspect we're going to hear about Hacksaw soon. Maybe it'll be after the May tournament, the May Melee tournament, but 
I suspect it's not going to be long before we hear about Hacksaw. If I'm not mistaken, I think Ryu Jahong actually also said he wanted to take a bit of a break from Overwatch. I believe he's the one that said uh, he wanted to take a break, but he would be returning to Overwatch. So I'm sure we'll hear from him uh, in, you know, maybe in a couple months, maybe, maybe not till the next season, but I'm sure he's got his feelers out there and everything in preparation because he did explicitly say he wants to come back. Um, as for the other guys, as far as I know, we haven't, we just haven't been hearing a lot, but I don't think we've seen the last of them. So moving on from there, next segment of the show, of course, is our owl recap, where we look at the previous week's games in the Overwatch League. So last week was week 15. Crazy that we're in week 15 already. 15 of, I believe, 27. So, I mean, you know, at this point, we're past halfway, although definitely doesn't feel like it, being that when you look at the standings, there are teams like Vancouver who have only played, you know, uh, eight games, eight games. Um, at the same time, I mean, who's another one? Souls only played eight games. Going up from there, we do start to get a, a few more of those lower game teams. London, LA Gladiators have both played nine. So they're starting to bring Seoul and Vancouver up to snuff in terms of the other teams. Right now, Vancouver needs all the practice they can get. Um, but I'll talk about that in a minute here. And then looking up from there, you know, we've got couple teams with 10 games under their belt, uh, only a few with 11, and then 12, 13, 14 is some of those, uh, some of those teams that we seem to be seeing uh, week in and week out um, early on, you know, the uh, LA Valiant, San Francisco Shock, Shanghai, Philadelphia, etc, etc. So anyways, let's get to the recap. So let's take a look here. First game of the weekend on Saturday, May 16th, was the Seoul Dynasty against the Chengdu Hunters. And it went the way of Chengdu. They three and owed the Seoul Dynasty. So again, as I always say, you know, I didn't watch that game just because the Asia region is obscenely early in the morning or obscenely late in the evening, if you will. So I didn't watch that match. Um, looks like 2-1 uh, on Nepal for Chengdu, 2-1 on Hanamura for Chengdu, and 2-0 on Gibraltar for Chengdu. So not necessarily a steamroll, but Seoul doesn't appear to have performed too, too well. Moving on from there, the Shanghai Dragons took on the London Spitfire and threw the Shanghai Dragons 3 and owed them. Looks like map 1 was Oasis and went 2 and 0 for Shanghai. Map 2 was Anubis and it went 3 to 2 for Shanghai. Map 3 was Watchpoint Gibraltar again and it went 3 to 2 for Shanghai again. So again, you know, um, kind of a little bit of the flip side of the, the Seoul Chengdu match there, but, uh, definitely seeing Shanghai come out on top quite handily. Moving on from there, next one was the New York Excelsior against the Hangzhou Spark. So looking at this one, it was 3-1 in favor of New York. And although New York is looking quite good in the standings, I think they're in fourth right now. Yeah. With nine and three, I do wonder about New York. They've had a few seemingly odd losses. Again, not that I pay too close attention to the Asia region just because of the time zones and everything, but it does seem like they've had a few odd losses and they are showing some weaknesses. And I do wonder if Hangzhou beefs up their roster a little bit, if they could be a serious contender in the Asia region. Um, obviously, I just mentioned that, you know, uh, obviously they had a couple of retirees, but also picking up Architect for them cannot be understated. Um, I think that's a, that's a really exciting one. You know, they've got a lot of talent on them. Um, in the DP, DPS lineup already, I mean, Godsby and Adora are both really good. Godsby in particular, I think, is always a, an exciting player to watch. But bringing Ar Architect into that lineup, um, hopefully, you know, assuming he kind of works with them well, I think works with the team well, I think he could make a huge difference. Difference. Gushue on the tank line I've always enjoyed, and then, you know, IDK and Bebe on uh, on support. I'm uh, previously watching them last season and everything. I definitely think that Hangzhou could be shaping up to be a, uh, a definite contender for sure. Moving on from there, first match of the weekend at a reasonable time was the Vancouver Titans taking on the Houston Outlaws. And as I mentioned, I actually didn't even watch this match. I happened to be out at the time it started, and I avoided the score until I got home. And when I went to put it on, I said, okay, if it's even close, I will watch the rest of the match. 
if it's not even close, I don't know if I'll even put it on, and it wasn't even looking close. So I, uh, I definitely, I think I put it on the background, but I did not pay too much attention to it. So looking at the score, map one was Busan and went 2-0 to Houston. Map two is Volskaya, went 3-2 for Houston, and map three was Rialto and went 3-0 for Vancouver. So, I mean, just looking at everything here, you know, everything considered, Vancouver obviously really struggling to to get much going for them. Um, not certainly not having the best of time. Do I think they're showing some improvement? Maybe it's really hard to say. Overall, my big takeaway, and again, you know, there's all the caveat, all the caveats that everyone's already talked about. Um, you know, KSA is playing from Saudi Arabia, and Suna is playing from France. And, you know, whatever, they've only been together for two weeks and uh, all this kind of talk. Although, yes, that's all true, and I definitely do think it's legitimate. It's, it's, it's legitimate factor in all of this. The more I watch this team, the more I see what else is going on in the league, the more I see other teams playing and building and trading and retiring players and that kind of thing, the more I think Vancouver basically said, we need to get a team this season so that we can finish off the season and then we can make some moves. So, you know, I, that's not groundbreaking. I'm sure I'm not the first person to think of that. And in fact, I've listened to a few things about people talking about that kind of thing. Um, I do think there are some pieces here that they could keep um, that would that they could build with. I do also think that, you know, those pieces are probably the pieces they're going to have an easier time moving when the time comes. So I'm talking, you know, Dalton. Dalton, I think, probably is the one that most people are agreeing is doing a great job on DPS. You know, what little success they're necessarily having is in part due to Dalton's, uh, Dalton's ability on the DPS line, uh, Hitscan in particular. And then also their tank line. I think Shredlock and KSA have both been both been performing well, especially well enough to keep them in the conversation of, you know, oh, well, maybe move them here, move them there, maybe keep one or both of them and build around them kind of thing. So I think those three in particular are definitely the three that are standing out to me and I think everything that I'm reading and hearing online as well. I think the other sort of bottom three are seeming less spectacular right now. Not that, not that again, you can really hold that against them because of all the caveats and all the, you know, footnotes considered about this team. But I do hope for their sake that, uh, you know, they can get some eyes on them and, and really start performing a little bit more just so that, uh, you know, they can continue on in the league and everything, no matter if it's with the Vancouver Titans or not. So anyways, that's my thoughts on Vancouver this week. They lost that game 3-0. and And from what I hear, it was, you know, nothing spectacular from Vancouver. So moving on from there we had the florida mayhem take on the washington justice and as i mentioned the newly uh the newly reformed or whatever newly additioned newly plus twoed uh washington justices so actually going into this match i was excited to see stitch and obviously Janu play again and i was you know there was a part of me that was hoping washington might be able to pull out a win here um especially if it was on the back of stitch and Janu. That didn't end up happening with the Florida Mayhem taking it 3-1. to one, And, you know, honestly, further solidifying that I like Florida this season. Um, do I think that they're necessarily deserving of being in the top five in the, uh, in the what do you call it, in the Atlantic Conference? Um, not necessarily. <laughs> I think things are a little stacked right now because they've had a bit of an easier schedule. But at the same time, I mean, I was listening to uh, the Tactical Crouch podcast today, and they were basically making the point that, look, there are two teams on in the, uh, in the Western side of things that are really dominant. The Philadelphia Fusion, the San Francisco Shock. Outside of that, everyone playing everyone is varying levels of bad to good. So it's not like anyone has had a really difficult schedule, um, you know. But whatever, I digress. Florida Mayhem. Take map one, Lee Jang Tower, 2-0. and Washington Justice get map two, which was Hannah Murrow, 1-0. and And then the next two maps, Junkertown and Kings Row, go to Florida, 2-1 and 3-1, respectively. So let's take a look at my notes here. Uh, this was actually really the first game that I actually caught of the weekend. Um, and it was a lot of fun. 
just because I like the Florida Mayhem and I'm enjoying seeing them on a bit of a roll here. So um, what was there that was good about Florida? A couple things that I wanted to highlight. Yaki, uh, Yaki, Yaki on Echo. Um, obviously, everyone's talking about it. Had some really great plays. He was pulling out all the stops. Um, he had, uh, I think it was on King's Row. He had one duplication where he duplicated Reinhardt and he managed to pull off three Earth Shatters in a row. And that was absolutely bonkers. He was just popping off. Um, so that was a ton of fun to watch. BQB as well on the DPS side, um, making some huge plays on Widowmaker and uh, especially on Junkertown, as well as McCree, um, you know, just looking really clean there. And then honestly, um, Gangnam Jin on the heels was pulling things out of his back pocket that I don't think uh, necessarily anyone really expected from this Florida team. So lots of fun to watch them playing this weekend. Um, on the justice side, there just wasn't much to talk about. Um, you know, I, I honestly, I don't have much to say about Washington justice. Obviously right now, if you look at the standings, they're sitting 19th with a record of three and 10. And one of those wins was recently over Vancouver on, is that who they played on Sunday? No, they played Philadelphia. Yeah, that's right. They played them the weekend before. That's what it was. So, you know, nothing nothing too exciting to say about them washington fans you know hopefully you guys manage to hang on because i think this team is going to be looking to rebuild soon uh just like you know the boston uprising as well as the vancouver titans so keep your eye out for that moving on from there the next game after that was the los angeles gladiators against the boston uprising now let me tell you something funny about this one because I started watching this game thinking, here we go, Los Angeles Gladiators going to pick up a uh, relatively easy win because Boston has been doing bad. There is no way around it. Boston has not been performing well at all lately. And I missed the first round, the first map, I believe it was. And I turn on the game and it's in Hanamura and it is, you know, whatever, 2-1, 1-0, whatever, when I'm watching it. And I look at the score and I think, oh my gosh, Boston won a map. And I'm like, that is a big deal. So looking at it right now, it is Nepal. Boston took it 2-0. So not even a, a close win from the sounds of it. Looks to me like Boston took it quite handily. Now, the thing I wrote down in my notes here is, I wrote, I missed the Boston map win. And the funny thing about that is I was thinking it would be the only map Boston would take. Then map two on Hanamura they draw. And I was like, okay, here we go. You know, it went from good. It's okay. Now, now they're going to start doing bad. Map three is watch point Gibraltar and it goes three to two to LA. So, yep, I was right. You know, Boston didn't look too bad. I was actually kind of impressed with them. They looked a lot better than they used to, but ultimately they couldn't convert that third point. So three, two for LA map four is blizzard world. The LA gladiators take it one and O oh. and I'm like, okay, Boston, I kind of felt the same about them as I did on Gibraltar. They're actually still looking pretty okay. They're definitely holding their own. You know, LA squeaked out that first point, that first cap, and Boston couldn't quite get that. So, you know, it's probably going to go to LA, but Boston is looking, in this match, Boston is looking scary. And then we have map five, Lijiang Tower, where Boston takes it 2-0, another control map. And then finally, we have Busan, and Boston manages to come out with the win, taking it two to one. So it was a really, it was actually a really exciting match to watch. Um, and not so much because, um, you know, because both teams performed very, very well, but mostly because Boston somehow pulled this win out their asses. It was honestly, not to undersell them, it was a great match for them. Um, it was really exciting to see, and especially at the end of it, we got to see the celebration in the Boston uh, game team room or whatever. And man, I've never seen so many different angles of, uh, I, th I think Bren said, I've never seen a hug from six different angles before, but he was all about it. And yeah, it was, it was exciting. Um, on the Boston side of things, you know, Color Hex looking really good on Echo. He had a few big ults, you know, nothing, nothing like uh, the the three shatter that Yaki had on Florida, but definitely a solid, solid play 
on the Echo. Um, Punk coming in on the tank line, replacing... I can't quite remember his name. Brusson. Replacing Brusson. Um, definitely an exciting one thing to see there. And obviously all the jokes online are that changing out uh, Brusson for Punk was all that Boston really needed to kick things into next gear. So, you know, a couple different players. Myungbong on the support line looking great, um, as well as Halo on the support line. So really exciting match, honestly. Um, you know, maybe LA either playing down to their opponent or just maybe they're in the wrong headspace but an exciting match no less um yeah i think that's that's probably all i really need to say about that match moving on from there the final game on saturday was the san francisco shock against the la or against the la against the atlanta rain now i did watch this match but i honestly i didn't have much to say about it at the time um it was san francisco being san francisco i know last week i talked about how I thought, you know, if there was a team that might have a chance against San Francisco, I thought it might be Atlanta. I always want to call them LA for some reason. I thought it might be Atlanta. I definitely thought it might be Atlanta or Paris. Um, I'm going to lean on Paris now to beat San Francisco if I want them to get beat, which I'm not even sold about anymore. I'm so conflicted. But the maps went like this. Lijiang Tower, 2-0 for San Francisco. Volskaya, 2-0 for San Francisco. And Junkertown, 4-3 for San Francisco. So San Fran managing to come out on top with that win. Um, honestly, I wasn't impressed with Atlanta at all. I thought they looked kind of sloppy. It didn't seem like they... Honestly, it didn't really seem like they were playing to win. It seemed a little like they were just playing. And that's why I didn't really write down or I don't really have too much to say about that game. Moving on from there. Sunday, May 17th. Our Asia region games were the Gangzhou Charge against the Chengdu Hunters, which went the way of Gangzhou 3-2. And it looked like this 2-0 on Ilios for Gangzhou, 2-1 on Temple of Anubis for Gangzhou, 0-1, so 1-0 for Chengdu on Watchpoint Gibraltar, 2-1 for Chengdu on Hollywood, and 2-0 on Oasis for Gangzhou. So uh, a big win for Gangzhou. Um, you know, a seemingly close win for Gangzhou, but a win nonetheless. The Hangzhou Spark then took on the London Spitfire and managed to 3-0 them. And it went like this. Ilios 2-0 for Hangzhou. Temple of Anubis 2-0 for Hangzhou. And Rialto 3-0 for Hangzhou. So a heavy, easy win, seemingly easy win for Hangzhou. So good job, Hangzhou. Um, too bad for the London fans out there. London now sitting in 13th with a record of 4-5, and five. so not looking too bright for them at this very moment. And then the first Sunday match that I managed to catch was the Dallas Fuel against the Paris Eternal, and I honestly feel similar to this game as I did about the San Francisco Shock versus the Atlanta Rain game the evening before. It largely felt like... Um, I, I had high hopes for this one, hoping that Dallas would be able to, you know, kind of punch above their weight class, but not because not because that was unwarranted. I think they handled themselves really well in previous weeks against Philadelphia and against San Francisco. So I really thought they would be able to, you know, hand it to Paris. Um, maybe not easily, but I if I had to predict a score, I probably would have said three and one for Dallas or three and two. Now, maybe that's a little bit of wishful thinking, but I was hoping they would do really well. And like I said, I think it uh, it turned out to be very much a blowout, just like the San Francisco versus Atlantic game. Seemed like Dallas just either was asleep at the wheel or just not adapting to what Paris was doing to uh, to put up anything of a fight. So I'm just pulling up the match details here. As I mentioned, 3-0 Paris taking that. And Lijiang Tower was map 1, and it went 2-0 to Paris. Temple of Anubis went 2-1 for Paris. And Junkertown went 3-1 for Paris as well. So that's what that looked like. And here we go. This weekend, a weekend of blowouts. The next game was the Philadelphia Fusion against the Vancouver Titans. Now, what to say about this match? Well, nothing really to say here. Um, I don't think you could have predicted anything different other than a 3-0 for Philly. Map 1 was Oasis, 2-0 for Philly. Map 2 was Volskaya, 2-1 for Philly. And Map 3 was Rialto, 3-0 for Vancouver. It was quick. It was not necessarily the quickest, 
Like it wasn't it wasn't record setting or anything like that. But Philly steamrolled Vancouver, and there's no way around that. Moving on from there, final match of the weekend. Now this match, again, actually very similar. <laughs> odd that we have this happening. Very similar to the Boston Uprising beating out the Los Angeles Gladiators. So this was the Toronto Defiant against the Los Angeles Valiant. And I think there were a lot of stakes on this game um, for both teams, really, because both teams not sitting super high in the standings and both teams really benefiting from a win. So the Los Angeles Valiant are currently sitting in 11th with 5 and 6, where the Toronto Defiant are in 16th with 4 and 8. So they would have been 5 and 7, placing them pretty much right where LAV has now ended up. Now, the reason I say that this was similar to the Boston LA Gladiators game is because I think Toronto the past week was looking really strong. They put up a really good fight against the San Francisco Shock, and I had high hopes that they would be able to come out on top in this match. Um, being that LA, I felt, is kind of an equivalent team. Now, obviously, looking at the score, that does reflect that both teams did very well, and it was fairly evenly matched. And it actually looked like this. On Busan, it went 2-0 for LAV. On Temple of Anubis, it went 3-2 for LA. On Watchpoint Gibraltar, it went 1-0 for Toronto. And map 4 was Hollywood, which went 3-2 for Toronto, looking like they're going to complete the reverse sweep. And then it goes 2-0 for the Los Angeles Valiant in the final map there, giving them the win 3-2. Now, as I said, this match was really interesting. It really was back and forth. It really did seem very... Um, very close, seemed like the teams, like I say, were very evenly matched. And that's always exciting to see because, you know, uh, it just makes for sort of a more competitive competitive matchup, right? Just like the Los Angeles Gladiators and the Boston Uprising, that close match felt like the two teams were quite equivalent, which it shouldn't have. You know, the Los Angeles Gladiators really should have been playing significantly better than the Boston Uprising. And just like, you know, whichever, this one even more evenly matched, I would say, where both teams, I think they were separated by one place. I think they were 15th and 16th or something at, at last week when I went over this match. So it was looking very close and it was a really exciting match. Um, you know, both teams have some strong components right now. Uh, the DPS line on Toronto looks great with logics and agilities. I know Surefour is also there, although I don't know if he even played this match, but I'm enjoying watching their DPS line play a lot these days. As well, they've got some decent tanks. Um, Nevix being traded to them from San Francisco at the end of last season. Um, not necessarily looking the best, but playing a solid D.Va game. That's for sure. One thing I appreciate right now is his D.Va play. And Beast uh, in the main tank role looking really good at times, definitely. Um, as well, actually, you know, Kareev and Cruz holding up their support line, looking strong. So overall, I like the Toronto team. Um, I do think that that they can perform. Obviously, they didn't manage to convert it to a win in this case, though. On the Los Angeles Valiant side, you know, um, just looking at their lineup as well, KSP, Shax on the DPS side. KSP in particular, I think, uh, shining a little bit more, but looking strong. Dreamer and McGravy, I think, have a really good uh, sort of cohesion between the two of them. I think they work really well together, and especially in front of, you know, Lastro and Rain. I think the support lineup on the Los Angeles Valiant is probably their weakest point. But in this match, obviously, as you can see, it didn't matter. Now, one thing I want to point out on this match, which <clears throat> I'm not one to rag on the, the team, the broadcast, the, the stream, the anything... You know, I understand everyone right now is in a bit of chaos, obviously, with a pandemic and everything. Um, but also, in terms of the league itself, everything was supposed to be homestands this, this season. So the league has really had to adapt and change things in a big way. And also with the jump to YouTube gaming, that's obviously presented challenges as well. Now, the one thing I want to point out, because it was particularly a problem in this final match of the weekend which, as I mentioned, was an exciting match and one that I really wanted to watch really closely and really wanted to be in, but I was struggling, especially towards the end, and I'll tell you why. So I've noticed that every now and then when we're watching the broadcast, um, at any given point, it will sort of jump back five or ten seconds, you know? Nothing super noticeable, but a caster will be in the middle of saying something and then it will, or it'll be in the middle of a play and then it'll just jump back five seconds and you'll see the exact same thing. And it's always kind of like, wait, what just happened? You know, it was deja vu or a glitch in the matrix or whatever. And then it just continues on. But what happened in this match and especially towards the end, I noticed it was especially bad 
during the final map on Ilios. It happened um, so in the first capture point, uh, capture point, yeah, the first control point, sorry. It was looking really close. It was looking like Toronto could switch it back, could end up capping it or something like that. And then all of a sudden, the stream actually jumped ahead about 30 seconds, and LA had taken the first round. It, w it literally went from, oh my gosh, Toronto might be able to take it back and flip it, and if they do, they could take this round, and then jumped ahead, and oh, LA's taken it onto round two. And I was like, well, that was kind of shitty. I just missed the end of that. And then the very same thing happened at the very end of the next round as well. And obviously that was particularly annoying because that was turned out to be the end of the match, turned out to be the Los Angeles Valiant winning it. But when I was watching it, before it did that jump, Toronto was about to flip it. And I was watching it and they were about to take it and I'm almost certain they did. But then something happened, and I have no idea what, because LA managed to get it again. And by the time it jumped back, LA had already won, and we were already talking to uh, talking about the win. So I just wanted to point that out, that that was really frustrating to see. And, you know, I hope for your sake, if, if you're watching this, you don't have that poor quality of a, a broadcast. Um, especially at this point. I mean, week 15, yeah, we had bumps and bumps and whatever, hiccups down the line and along the road and whatever you want to say. But I just would hope that they're aware of these issues and that they're working on them um, because it is frustrating when, you know, you're just trying to be a fan and, and see how these matches turn out. So anyways, I digress. I don't want to go too much on the negative because I like to mostly maintain the positivity on this because overall, I love the Overwatch League and I love this game. So moving on from there, we have my wonderful crowns of the week that I like to give out for the big winners and the big losers of the week. So I'm just going to pull things up here. So it looks to me like... Oh, so first of all, our big losers of the weekend, obviously it's no secret. Uh, loser number one, once again, for the second weekend in a row, is the Vancouver Titans. Um, obviously, they did not win against the Houston Outlaws. They did not win against the Philadelphia Fusion. So not much to talk about there. Boo Vancouver. Too bad. Who knows what's going to happen there. The other team, we actually had two big losers this weekend, was, of course, the... Oh, interesting. Was, of course, the London Spitfire. So... I don't know that there's much to say about that, mostly because, again, they're an Asia region team that I don't follow too closely. However, I know they were previously quite good, and I know they rebuilt this season. They've got a lot of young players, so I almost hope that they're going to pull a San Francisco kind of thing, um, where, you know, this is the rebuild season, they struggle this season, they get a couple wins, and then next season they come, out, come back out roaring, because I do like the London Spitfire, and I like that they have a relatively young team, and and it's relatively new to the league and everything. It's always exciting to see that kind of thing. So moving on from there, I don't think we had any big winners this weekend. Um, you know, most teams only played once, I think, other than the Vancouver Titans and the London Spitfire, who are playing catch-up at this point. I don't think anyone played twice. So that was all of our big losers for the weekend. Now, finally, the next segment of the show is Owl Flying Atcha, where I look at the upcoming weekend in the Overwatch League. So this will be a week 16. And of course, this is the, uh, whatever you want to call it, finals, I guess, of the regional tournament May Melee Brawl, whatever you want to call it. That was a lot of uh, Super Smash Brothers terms there. Obviously, not all of the um, matches are scheduled just yet because we have to see who some of the winners and losers are so that they can actually allow the other teams to place and pick their opponents. That said, when we look at the schedule, Friday, May 22nd at 11 a.m. Why it's at 11 a.m., I don't fucking know because that probably means that I'm going to miss the game. We have the Vancouver Titans taking on the Toronto Defiant. So... Excited to see that one because guess what? It's Canada versus Canada and it is struggling team against struggling team. And I don't think there's any way Toronto loses this match at this point. That said, if there's a team that Vancouver is going to beat, I mean, hell, I wouldn't be surprised if it was Toronto at this point. 
honestly, Boston, I don't even know if they would win against Boston, especially now that Boston won that last game. I can only imagine what that's done for their morale, um, bringing in Punk and everything like that. So I don't know if Vancouver can beat any team in the league. But hey, who knows? Maybe Toronto will throw them a bone. Over on the Asia side, on we have more matches determined just because it's a smaller bracket. So on Saturday, May 23rd, we're going to see the Seoul Dynasty take on the Hangzhou Spark. We're going to see the Chengdu Hunters take on the New York Excelsior and the London Spitfire take on the Shanghai Dragons. So overall, that's the matches that we have planned out for this weekend so far. But I do have a bracket calculator up here because uh, it actually allows you to select who you think you're going to win. So I'm just going to quickly go through the Asia region because just based on what I know, mostly based on standings and, and what I hear, I think I have a pretty decent idea of how this is going to go. I think the Spark are going to beat the Dynasty, which means they will immediately play in the semifinals against the Gangs Out Charge, who get a bye into the semifinals because of their performance last week. The New York Excelsior will beat the Chengdu Hunters, and the Shanghai Dragons will beat the London Spitfire, which means we have the Gangs Out Charge against the Hangs Out Spark, and I think Gangs Out will take that one. And then we have the New York Excelsior against the Shanghai Dragons, where I think Shanghai will take it, and I think Shanghai will go all the way. If Shanghai doesn't pull out, uh, come out on top of this tournament, it'll be quite a bit of a shock um, because of everything that uh, has gone on in their season so far. They seem quite well. Now, I actually just noticed... I just noticed there's actually this caveat on the um, on this bracket that I'm looking at right now that says the Hangzhou Spark may not be participating in May Melee. Now I did hear about this, but I forgot to look into it. Um, so supposedly Gu Shui is having potential problems with his visa renewal. So if they can't get his visa renewed in time, then he may not be able to participate, which means the Hangzhou Spark will not have a tank line. A full tank line so they won't be able to participate so anyways hopefully they get that sorted out because it would be exciting to see them play and i do think like i say i think they'll beat the soul dynasty so they'll at least make it into the semis so now the north america region bracket is quite a bit heftier obviously um, with our first game being the toronto defiant against the vancouver titans that is a qualification match to get into the knockout round i think toronto will come out on top which means the Paris Eternal get to pick their team first. So they can pick from the Outlaws, the Justice, the Uprising, and Toronto, assuming Toronto wins that game before. The other teams that get to then pick their seeds based on what Paris picks are the Atlanta Reign, the Los Angeles Gladiators, and then the Dallas Fuel. So I don't... I'm just clearing my picks here so that I can reset this thing. So... Who do I think Paris will pick? Um, I mean, you do get performance bonuses based on wins as well as based on how far you go in this tournament. So I think they'd be silly not to pick a team they know they can beat. Now, I'm confident they can beat any of these teams, but I think you go... You you purely go based on the standings at this point. You go for Boston over Washington, um, mostly because Boston is at the bottom right now. That said, Boston coming off that win last week could be a big deal, but do I think they can beat Paris? Not really. So I think Paris picks Boston. I think Atlanta will then pick Washington. That puts the Gladiators in a bit of a tough position. They can pick the Outlaws. They can pick the Defiant. Who do I think they can beat? I think they can beat either team, but I think they're struggling right now, and who knows why that really is. Um, regardless, I think they'll they'll probably pick... They'll probably pick... Oof, this is a tough one. It could be a coin toss, honestly. I don't know. If they want to... I would say they go for the Outlaws, because I think the Outlaws are more of a surefire win, um, based on not too much. Uh, just, I think that Toronto thinks they can, I feel like Toronto has more of a mental game than the Outlaws at this point. So I think the Gladiators pick the Outlaws. However, I think the Outlaws might actually win that. Moving on from there, but Dallas will then, uh, have to face off Toronto. And let's see, looking at those, I think Paris will win over Boston. I think Atlanta will win over Washington. I think the Outlaws will actually beat the Gladiators. And then I think the Fuel will beat Toronto. Which means the Shock in the quarterfinals then get to pick who they play. And, of course, I think they, again, because you want to you want to pick your wins uh, so that you go as far as you can, right? So I think they go for the bottom of the barrel. I think they pick the Outlaws, and I think they'll win that. I think the... 
Oops. Oh, the next team that gets to pick actually sequentially is the Florida Mayhem, which means I think the Florida Mayhem probably pick the Fuel because the Fuel are weakest. That's that's a tough batch picking from Paris, Atlanta, and the Fuel. The Florida Mayhem did beat the Paris Eternal once already, but I think Paris is the strongest team in that batch. So I think they'll pick the Fuel or the Rain. Knowing their play style, I think they'll pick the Fuel because I think they have a, a better chance of winning against them. The Fusion then get to pick, and I think, again, I think they'd be, you know, silly not to pick who they know they can beat, so they'll pick Atlanta. And then Los Angeles Valiant are left to face off against Paris. I think Paris will beat the Los Angeles Valiant, that said. I think the Fusion will beat the Rain, and I think the... F Actually, I think the Florida Mayhem will beat the Dallas Fuel, although that one will be the closest of the quarterfinals. That then means that the Shock face off against the Paris Eternal, which I think goes the way of the Shock. I think the Fusion, or the Fusion then face off against Florida, which I think goes the way of Fusion, and you end up with a final match of Shock versus Fusion. That match is anyone's guess. I really do not have a pick there. Um, it would be really exciting to see because obviously if you look at the standings for most of the season so far, Philly's at the top and, you know, removing the Asia, Asia region, San Francisco's chasing their chasing behind them only slightly. Right. Um, the two top teams in the North America uh, region are Philadelphia and San Francisco. So it would be exciting to see them face off. It would also be exciting to see Philadelphia face off against Shanghai, but I don't know how soon that'll happen. So, that is a look at Owl flying at you in the next week, um, or the next week's games. Obviously, as you can see, you know, that was a bit of speculation there, just because I, I don't necessarily know for certain how things will pan out. But that said, I'm going to lock in my picks there. I'm going to actually grab some screenshots of this, and I will save this so that I can reflect on it next week because that could be exciting. So that said, that's all we have for the show. So this was One Man Watchpoint and Overwatch podcast. As you've now learned, if you came along with me on that ride, we look at everything going on in the wonderful world of Overwatch. Um, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcast Services, uh, most of your podcast services out there, including Spotify. If you find a podcast service that you cannot find me on, please let me know on Twitter or Instagram at SirDRJM. That's SirDrJM. And of course, feel free to hit me up on those platforms as well and let me know what you'd like to see on the show. Let me know feedback. Let me know the good, the bad, the ugly, comments, questions, concerns, whatever you want, and I'll be happy to discuss it. That's all I have for now, so we will catch you next week with the results of the May Melee Tournament. <laughs>